Assisi's Basilica of St. Francis. Welcome to the Basilica of St. Francis. The Basilica of St. Francis is one of the artistic and religious highlights of Europe. It rises where Francis was buried and today welcomes pilgrims, art lovers, and tourists from around the world. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Thanks for joining me on a walk through the church that honors the life and message of hometown hero St. Francis of Assisi. Today, the Basilica of St. Francis offers a lot to the sights here. The huge building itself is impressive. Inside, it's frescoed from top to bottom by the leading artists of the day, particularly Jato. We'll see Francis's tomb and some of his personal possessions. Altogether, a visit here helps to further humanize this most human of saints. To help us along the way, I've invited a good friend and virtual travel buddy. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, Rick. Lisa will give us helpful directions and sightseeing tips throughout the tour. And my first tip is to be sure you get our tour updates. Just press the icon at the lower right of your device. You'll find any updates and helpful instructions unique to this tour. Things like closures, opening hours, and reservation requirements. There's also tips on how to use this audio tour and even the full printed script. Yes, so pause for just a moment right now to review our updates and special tips. It's okay, we'll wait. And then, let the tour begin. The tour begins. The Lower Basilica Courtyard. We'll start by touring the Lower Basilica. The church has two stories, the Lower Basilica and the Upper Basilica. Start in the large courtyard at the Lower Basilica entrance. Notice that there's an information center just outside the main door. Rick? The Basilica of St. Francis was begun in 1228, just two years after Francis' death, and the day after he was made a saint. It was built to house his relics and welcome thousands of Franciscan pilgrims and medieval tourists. Centuries ago, this main plaza would have been cluttered with pilgrim services and the medieval equivalent of souvenir shops. The arcades that lined the square housed medieval pilgrims. Francis was born Francesco Bernadone, right here in Assisi, in around the year 1181. His dad was a wealthy cloth dealer, and Francis grew up rich, popular, and a charismatic figure around town. But after serving a stint in the army, he returned home a troubled man. After much fasting, prayer, and soul-searching, he underwent a profound religious conversion that culminated in a dramatic act. He stood before Assisi's town leaders and renounced all his material possessions. He rejected his own father, stripped off his fine clothing, and ran off into the countryside. There he practiced a simple form of Christianity that emphasized poverty, chastity, and obedience to God's will. He attracted many like-minded followers, and the movement grew quickly. By the time Francis died in 1226, his once radical message had been embraced, or some would say co-opted, by the church. Christianity's most popular saint was glorified in beautiful churches all over Europe, but none more glorious than the Basilica of St. Francis here in Assisi. Looking at the grand doorway of the lower basilica, it's striking to think that Francis's message of poverty and simplicity could result in such a grandiose structure. 
Enter the church through the doorway of the lower basilica. Just inside, decorating the top of the first arch, look up and see a painting of St. Francis. He greets you with a Latin inscription. Sounding a bit like John Wayne, he says the equivalent of, Slow down and be joyful, pilgrim. You've reached the hill of paradise. And if you're observant and thoughtful, this church will knock your spiritual socks off. Now stand and look down the impressive nave and take it all in. The Lower Basilica Nave Good Lord, all your creations bring praise to you. Praise for Brother Sun who brings the day. His radiance reminds us of you. Praise and bless the Lord and give thanks and with humility serve him. Those words were written by Francis himself and I can't think of a better way to introduce this church built in his honor. Though the church is important historically, artistically, and culturally, it's also important to remember that it was, first and foremost, a place for pilgrims seeking God. On this tour, I'll respect the theological aspect to this great church. The Lower Basilica, begun in 1228, was finished in just two years. That's an astonishing feat, especially considering that many other medieval cathedrals took centuries to build. The style of the nave is Romanesque. It features round Roman-style arches, minimal decoration, and columns supporting a ceiling of stars. As we'll see, the upper basilica, begun just a few years later, was done in a newer, brighter style that was sweeping Europe, the pointed arches and curlicues of Gothic. When Francis was buried here, this site was outside the Assisi town walls. It was known as the Hill of the Damned, where outcasts were buried. Francis had been an outcast himself who attracted other misfits. Now the place is called the Hill of Paradise. A 13th century historian wrote of the new basilica, no more exquisite monument to the Lord has ever been built. Next, we'll visit the site this church was built on, Francis's tomb. To get there... Excuse me just a sec, Lisa. One important disclaimer. Just as Francis used many biblical legends to help teach the Christian message, his followers also used legends from the life of Francis himself to teach the same message. Are they true? In general, probably not. Are they in keeping with Francis's message? Yes. Do I sometimes share legends here as if they're historic? Sure. Head partway down the nave. Follow the signs and go right down the stairs to the tomb. The tomb. The saint's remains are above the altar, in the stone box with the iron ties. These humble relics are why this huge church was built. They sit directly beneath the altar of the lower basilica. In medieval times, pilgrims came to Assisi because St. Francis was buried here. Back then, holy relics, things like saint's bones or personal possessions, were the ruby slippers of the day. Relics gave you power. They answered your prayers and won your wars, and ultimately 
helped you get back to your eternal Kansas. Assisi made no bones about promoting Francis's relics, but his actual tomb was never on public display for reasons of security. His body had been buried secretly while the basilica was under construction, and over the next 600 years the exact location was forgotten. It wasn't until 1818 that they decided that the tomb should be open to the public, and it took more than a month to find his actual remains. Francis died about two miles from here, in a small church where he lived and worked. It's where the enormous church of St. Mary of the Angels now stands. He died in the loving arms of his many followers. Francis's four closest friends and followers are memorialized in the corners of this same room. Locate a fifth tomb. It's opposite the altar, up four steps between the entrance and exit, the small copper box behind the metal grill. That contains the remains of Francis's rich Roman patron, Jacoba de Settesole. She traveled to Assisi to see Francis on his deathbed, but was turned away because she was female. Francis waived the rule and welcomed Brother Jacoba to his side. In the early 1200s, Francis and his fellow nonconformists caused quite a stir. They not only followed Christ's teachings, they followed Christ's lifestyle, living as poor, wandering preachers. They traded a life of power and riches for one of obedience, poverty, and chastity. They called themselves fratelli, or brothers, Fra Francis, Fra Giovanni, and so on. They slept in fields, begged for food, and exuded the joy of non-materialism. Franciscan friars were known as the jugglers of God. They modeled themselves on French troubadours called jongleurs or jugglers, who roved the countryside singing, telling stories, and cracking jokes. Francis and his friends were never ordained as priests, but their influence on Christianity was monumental. These five tombs, in the Franciscan spirit of being with your friends, were brought here in the 19th century. The candles, you see, are the only real candles in the church. Others are electric. Pilgrims pay a coin, pick up a candle, and place it at the tomb. Franciscan brothers will light it later. Promise? Swear to God. Now climb back up to the nave. The Lower Basilica, the Nave The Basilica of St. Francis is a theological work of genius. The frescoes lining the nave would lead pilgrims from one theological concept to the next, to the altar, where they could meet God through the sacraments. The nave has parallel scenes. The life of Christ is on the right, and the life of Francis is on the left. Unfortunately, some precious frescoes were cut away when the church was remodeled to build side chapels for rich patrons. Find the fresco directly above the entry to Francis's tomb. Though only the lower half remains, you can see that Christ is being taken down from the cross, and it looks like the story's over. Death. Defeat. But now, check out the opposite fresco, above the tomb's exit. Francis is preaching to the birds, reminding the faithful that the message of the gospel survives. The Franciscan realm is a space where God, man, and the natural world frolic harmoniously. Francis treated every creature, animal, 
peasant pope with equal respect. In an Italy torn by conflict between towns and families, Francis promoted peace and the restoration of order. While the church was waging bloody crusades, Francis pushed ecumenism and understanding. And the Franciscan message had an impact. In 1288, just 62 years after Francis died, a Franciscan became pope. That was Nicholas IV. Francis's message also led to church reforms that many believe actually delayed the Protestant Reformation by a century. As you stand in the nave, consider where the word nave comes from. Navis is Latin for ship, probably because the church ceilings looked like a ship's hull. The church was thought of as a community of believers sailing on a spiritual journey. The prayers coming out of the nave fill the triangular sections of the ceiling called vele, or sails, with spiritual wind. With a priest for a navigator and the altar for a helm, faith propels the ship to God. Make your way slowly to the altar as you listen to a poem written by Francis himself, The Canticle of the Sun. Good Lord, all your creations bring praise to you. Praise for Brother Sun who brings the day. His radiance reminds us of you. Praise for Sister Moon and the stars, precious and beautiful. Praise for Brother Wind and for clouds and storms and rain that sustain us. Praise for Sister Water. She is useful and humble, precious and pure. Praise for Brother Fire who cheers us at night. Praise for our sister, Mother Earth, who feeds us and rules us. Praise for all those who forgive, because you have forgiven them. Praise for our sister, Bodily Death, from whose embrace none can escape. Praise and bless the Lord, and give thanks, and with humility serve Him. The Lower Basilica Altar Frescoes Here at the altar, you're standing directly above the tomb of St. Francis. Position yourself behind the altar, toes to the bottom step, facing the entrance. Now, look up. You'll see four scenes fitted into the crisscross vaulting. They were painted around 1330 by the groundbreaking artist Giotto. More on him later. Three of the scenes represent the three virtues of the Franciscan Creed. To the right is obedience. Francis appears twice in this scene, once wearing a rope harness, and then kneeling in front of Lady Obedience. Now look to the left to see the next virtue, chastity. She sits in her tower of purity, held up by two angels. The third scene is straight ahead, poverty. Here Jesus blesses the marriage as Francis slips a ring on Lady Poverty. In the foreground are two pint-sized merchants, the new rich of a thriving North Italy. They're throwing sticks and stones at the bride. But poverty, in her patched wedding dress, is fertile and strong, and even bare brambles blossom into a rosebush crown. These three virtues, obedience, chastity, and poverty, were Francis' main message. Especially poverty. Francis called money the devil's dung. Having been born in an upwardly mobile world of budding capitalists, Francis preached the simple lifestyle of Jesus. He rejected the extravagant clothes his father sold. 
he and his monks wore simple brown tunics with a rope for a belt. By contrast, rich people of the day wore jeweled belts that held their bag of coins and a weapon to protect it. The Franciscan belt was a simple rope with three knots symbolizing their three vows. Now turn around, put your heels to the altar, and, bending back like a drum major, look up. There in the fourth scene is Francis on a heavenly throne dressed in a rich golden robe. After his death, he was crowned with glory in heaven, the reward for an earthly life of obedience, chastity, and poverty. Turn to the right and march to the corner, where steps lead down into the relic chapel. The Relic Chapel This chapel is filled with fascinating personal objects once owned by Francis that are now venerated by adoring pilgrims. A flyer which cost a few coins explains them in detailed English. Step in and circle the room clockwise. You'll see the silver chalice and plate that Francis used for the bread and wine of the Eucharist. It's in a small, dark, windowed case set into the wall marked Calice e Patena. Though Francis lived a poor life, he thought that worship aids like these should be made of the finest materials. The Vela de Lino is a cloth Jacoba used to wipe her friend's brow on his deathbed. In the corner display case is a small section of Francis's itchy hair cloth, or chelizio. It's made not of soft sheep's wool, but from scratchy horse or goat hair. Francis wore this as penance. In the next corner are the tunic and slippers that Francis wore during his last days. Next, find a piece of paper in a fancy silver stand. This was a prayer that St. Francis wrote for Brother Leo. It's signed with the T-shaped character, his Tau cross. Tau, or Tav in Hebrew, is the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet, symbolic of faithfulness to the end. Francis used it for his signature, and his followers have since adopted it as a symbol of the order. Next is a papal document dating from 1223. This legitimized the Franciscan order and assured Francis and his followers that they were not risking a deadly heresy charge. Finally, just past the altar, see another of Francis's tunics. It was lovingly patched and stitched by followers of the five-foot-four-inch-tall St. Francis. Before leaving the chapel, notice the modern paintings done recently by local artists. Over the entrance, Francis is shown being born in a stable, like Jesus, though he wasn't. You'll also see the life of Claire, Francis's female counterpart, who followed his teachings and formed an order of nuns. Padre Pio was a 20th century priest of the Capuchin order, a branch of the Franciscans. Very popular in Italy, he was sainted in 2002. Return up the stairs, stepping back into the north transept. The North Transept Frescoes The decoration of this church brought together the greatest artists of the day. From Siena came Simone Martini and Pietro Lorenzetti and from Florence, Cimabue and Giotto. Look around at the painted scenes, mostly from the life of Jesus. 
In the year 1300, this was radical art. Unlike the pious icons of earlier generations, these scenes featured real-life landscapes, trees, and people. Study the crucifixion by Giotto, or at least by his workshop. It was done around 1310. It shows Christ on the cross surrounded by eight sparrow-like angels. For the first time, holy people are expressing emotion. Christ's spindly body hangs heavily on the cross. One angel turns her head sadly at the sight of Jesus, and another scratches her hands down her cheeks, drawing blood. Mary, in the lower corner on the left, has fainted in sorrow. Others throw up their hands in despair. Giotto, Europe's first great naturalist painter, found the perfect audience in the Franciscans, with their goal of bringing God to the people. The painting to the right, the Madonna enthroned, is probably by Cimabue from around 1290. Though less emotional than Giotto's work, it does have one important feature. To the right of Mary and the angels stands St. Francis. This is considered the most accurate portrait we have of Francis. Cimabue, who lived a full generation after Francis, painted it according to a description by someone who knew Francis personally. Contemporaries described Francis as being short, with a graceful build, dark hair, and a sparse beard. The sunroof haircut, called a tonsure, was standard for monks of the day. According to legend, the brown robe and rope belt were inventions of necessity. When Francis stripped naked and ran away from Assisi, he grabbed the first clothes he could, a rough wool peasant's tunic and a piece of rope, and this became the uniform of the Franciscan order. Notice his hands and feet. It shows Francis with the stigmata, the wounds Christ received when he was crucified. Whether true or not, it's one of the enduring legends of Francis's life. Francis, through his powerful faith, was able to feel Christ's pain so empathetically that his own body bore the marks. Before moving on, check out a few more paintings in the transept. Beneath Cimabue's work are portraits of five of Francis's closest followers, clearly just simple folk. Beneath Giotto's crucifixion are saints with exquisite halos done by Simone Martini or his school. And finally, meet Francis's other friend, the figure he called Sister Bodily Death. She stands above and to the right of the door leading into the relic chapel. Francis is introducing us to her as if she's a friend. Francis welcomed death. Before he died, Francis added one more line to his Canticle of the Sun. Praise for our sister, bodily death, from whose embrace no one can escape. Sounds like an old boyfriend of mine. Now cross to the other side of the altar into the south transept. Along the way, you'll enjoy some of the oldest surviving bits of the inlaid local limestone flooring from the 13th century. In the south transept, find the staircase going up. Before going up, check out the painting immediately above the stairs. It's Francis Receiving the Stigmata by Pietro Lorenzetti. Francis is considered the first person ever to earn the marks of the cross through his great faith and love of the church. Climb the stairs and make your way to the courtyard. The Courtyard The courtyard overlooks the 15th century cloister, the heart of this monastic complex. In its heyday, the monastery hosted hundreds of monks, 
Today, there are about 40. Balanced and peaceful by design, the courtyard also functioned as a cistern to collect rainwater, supplying enough for 200 monks. Since the Franciscan order emphasizes teaching, this monastery functioned as a kind of divinity school. Monks came here for a six-month course of study, then returned home more prepared and better inspired to preach effectively. That explains the complex narrative of the frescoes wallpapering the walls and halls throughout the basilica and monastery. If you're interested, the Treasury Museum to the left of the bookstore is free, though a donation is requested. It features ornately decorated chalices, reliquaries, vestments, and altarpieces, and it has a handy public toilet. From the courtyard, climb the stairs next to the bookshop. This brings you to the upper basilica. You've now completed the intended pilgrim's route, entering the lower church and finishing here. Enter the upper basilica. The Upper Basilica Take in the glorious light of this spacious, airy, and colorful church. It's completely different from the darker Romanesque Lower Basilica, built just a few years earlier. The Upper Basilica is Gothic, featuring pointed arches, a soaring roof, and stained glass. Started in around 1230, this is considered the first Gothic church in Italy. Admire the design in the round window in the west end, high above the main entry. The tiny centerpiece reads IHS, the first three letters of Jesus' name in Greek. This trippy kaleidoscope seems to declare that all light radiates from Jesus. The windows here are treasures from the 13th and 14th centuries. Those behind the altar are the oldest of all, among the oldest and most precious in all of Italy. Imagine illiterate medieval peasants entranced by these windows, so full of meaning that they were nicknamed Bibles of the Poor. The place was usually packed with pilgrims. Notice how the pulpit can be seen and heard from every spot. The mission of the order was to fill the church and preach. If the preacher wanted to talk about the life of St. Francis, he had the perfect visual aids, the colorful frescoes by Giotto that lined the walls. For art lovers, the basilica's main draw is these frescoes. Giotto and his assistants practically wallpapered the upper basilica sometime around the year 1300. Or perhaps the job was subcontracted to other artists. Scholars debate it. The frescoes show scenes from the life of St. Francis. But before we focus on specific panels, just walk around and take in the colorful frescoes in general while I tell you a little bit about Giotto. Giotto di Bondone grew from humble beginnings to be the wealthiest and most famous painter of his day. When he was around age 30, he was chosen by the Franciscans to paint the upper basilica frescoes. It put him on the artistic map and revolutionized the art of painting. His scenes were more realistic and human than anything done for a thousand years. He broke ground by introducing nature, rocks, trees, animals, as a backdrop for his scenes. He set scenes inside buildings or in a courtyard to give a sense that the action was taking place in three-dimensional space. Giotto's people, with their deeply creased robes, are as sturdy and massive as ancient Greek statues. His figures exude stage presence. Their gestures are simple but expressive. A head tilted down says dejection. An arm flung out indicates grief. 
clasped hands indicate hope. Jado's storytelling style is straightforward, and anyone with a knowledge of the episodes of Francis's life can read the church like a graphic novel. The realistic anatomy, architectural depth, and drama of these frescoes foreshadows the Renaissance a century later. The Upper Basilica represents a new age in European art and culture, a more down-to-earth, human-centered view, just what the Franciscans were all about. Giotto's fresco cycle starts near the basilica's main altar. Face the altar and start on the right-hand or north wall. From there, we'll work clockwise around the church. Follow along with the help of the map on your mobile device. Or... Use the subtitles in the black strip below the frescoes. They describe each scene clearly. Yeah, in Latin. Giotto's Frescoes of the Life of St. Francis, The North Wall This gallery of frescoes shows 28 scenes from the life of St. Francis. The events are a mix of documented history and folk legend. The first scene is near the altar, on the right-hand wall of the nave. The first scene is labeled, A Common Man Spreads His Cape Before Francis. Young Francis receives this honor while standing in front of the Temple of Minerva on Assisi's Piazza del Comune. Before his conversion, young Francis was the model of manhood. He was handsome, intelligent, and well-dressed, befitting the son of a wealthy cloth merchant. Above all, he was liked by everyone, a natural charmer who led his fellow teens in nights of wine, women, and song. Medieval pilgrims understood the deeper meaning of this scene. The eye of God, symbolized by the rose window in the Temple of Minerva, looks over the young Francis. But Francis is still a dandy, imprisoned in his own selfishness, symbolized by the temple with barred windows that was once a prison. The next scene is... Francis offers his cape to a needy stranger. Francis was always generous of spirit. He became more so after being captured in battle and held for a year as prisoner of war, then suffering from illness. Charity was a Franciscan forte. Notice also how Jado places the scene at the foot of two rocky hillsides topped with a city and a church, a vista right out of medieval Assisi. The donkey bending down to graze adds a natural touch. So simple but for art, so revolutionary at the time. Francis is visited by the Lord in a dream. Still unsure of his calling, Francis rode off to the Crusades. One night he's visited by Christ in a dream. Christ shows him a palace filled with armor marked with crosses. Christ tells him to leave the army, to become what you might consider the first conscientious objector, and go home to wait for a non-military assignment in a new kind of knighthood. Francis returned to Assisi, where he was reviled as a coward. But he was fighting a spiritual battle for wisdom, not earthly power and material riches. Francis prays to the crucifix. Francis retreated to the rundown church of San Damiano in the valley below Assisi. After months of fasting and meditating, Francis kneels in the church and prays. Suddenly, the crucifix speaks. It tells him, Go and rebuild my church, which you can see has fallen into ruin. Francis started renovating San Demiano. To pay for it, he took his father's precious cloth and sold it. His father was furious and dragged him before the bishop. Francis relinquishes his possessions. 
This is the pivotal scene in Francis's dramatic life. His father in yellow accuses his wayward son of stealing in front of the bishop and the entire town. Francis strips naked and hands his trendy clothes back to his astonished dad. He renounces all his wealth. Credit cards, iPhone, timeshare on Capri. Francis raises his hand and says, Until now, I called you my father. From now on, my only father is my father in heaven. Notice God's hand blessing the action from above. Francis then ran off into the hills, naked and singing. In this version, Francis's nakedness is covered up by the bishop, symbolizing his transition from a man of the world to a man of the church. Notice the disbelief and concern on people's faces. They can't believe any sane person would give up all that wealth. Subtle expressions like these were groundbreaking in European art. The Pope has a dream. Francis headed to Rome, seeking the Pope's blessing on his fledgling movement. The Pope initially rebuffed Francis, but here we see him having a dream, a very uplifting dream of a simple, barefooted man who props up a teetering church. Francis and his movement would reinvigorate the Christian faith, fulfilling God's command that Francis go and rebuild my church. The Pope confirms the Franciscan order. Francis and his gang kneel before the Pope and receive a piece of paper. This is the document that we saw downstairs in the relic chapel. It legitimized their mission and the creation of the Franciscan order. We'll fast forward through the next three scenes, showing some of Francis's many visions and miracles. First comes the vision of the flaming chariot, then the vision of thrones, and finally, the exorcism of demons in Arezzo. Now, turn your attention to the next panel. St. Francis before the Sultan. Francis's wandering ministry took him to Egypt during the Crusades. That was in 1219. According to one account, he walked unarmed into a Muslim army camp. They captured him and, as this fresco shows, took him to the Sultan. The Sultan gestures from his throne, ordering Francis to prove the power of Christianity by walking through fire. Francis was willing to do just that, leaving the Sultan amazed at his faith. Supposedly, as the Sultan let Francis go, he told him, I'd convert to your faith, but they'd kill us both. The Ecstasy of St. Francis This is an often-painted scene from Francis's life. It shows the mystic communing with Christ. Do the figures look a bit subpar to you? That may mean they were done by Giotto's assistants. The Crash at Greccio A creative teacher, Francis invents the tradition of manger scenes. Crashes, called presepi in Italian, and living manger scenes are still very popular in Italy at Christmas time. Turn the corner to see one more scene, the miracle of the spring. Francis gets water out of a rock to quench a stranger's thirst. Notice the natural details, the rocky hills, the trees, the stranger's donkey. Giotto loved to paint nature. In fact, according to legend, his talent was first discovered when he was a 12-year-old shepherd boy. He was seen painting a picture of a sheep on a slab of rock. Coincidentally, Francis also loved nature. Roaming the hills around Assisi, he seemed to see the creator in the creation. Continue with the frescoes on the south wall. Start with the fresco just after the door. 
Giotto's frescoes on the south wall. Start with the fresco next to the door called The Sermon to the Birds. In his best known miracle, Francis is surrounded by birds as they listen to him talk about God. Giotto catches the late arrivals in mid flight, an astonishing technical feat for an artist more than a century before the Renaissance. Breaking the stiff, iconic mold for saints, Francis bends forward at the waist to talk to his fellow creatures. The simple gesture of Francis's companion speaks volumes about his amazement. The diversity of the birds symbolizes how all humankind is equally precious in God's sight. Even the tree bends down symmetrically to catch a few words from the beloved hippie of Assisi. Francis is regarded as the patron saint of the environment and of animals. Pilgrims who saw this were reminded that, like the birds, God gives us life, plenty of food, wings, and a world to fly around in. A monk here reminded me that even a student backpacker today eats as well as the wealthiest nobleman in the days of Francis. Continue to the south wall for the rest of the panels. The first one is labeled Death of the Knight of Solano. Francis stands up from his meal as the knight keels over. Remember, Francis had been a warrior himself. Scenes like this showed how, despite the hierarchical society of his day, Francis was welcomed and his teaching was embraced by all classes. Next is Francis preaching to Pope Honorius III. Even popes listened intently when Francis spoke. He was not a bombastic orator. Francis spoke plainly, improvising and speaking from the heart, a style that impressed even kings and popes. The Apparition at Arles In this scene, as the faithful are gathered in a room in southern France, suddenly Francis seemed to appear among them. This illustrated how Francis could be in two places at once, something only Jesus and saints can pull off. Of the many legends surrounding Francis's life, some of them are, frankly, pretty outlandish. On the other hand, there's the miracle we'll see in the next panel. Francis Receives the Stigmata It's September 17, 1224. Francis is on nearby Mount Alverna, pondering the pain of Christ's torture and execution. Suddenly, he looks up, startled. A six-winged angel called a seraph appears. Armed with holy, laser-like powers, the seraph burns the marks of the crucifixion into Francis's hands, feet, and side. It's the stigmata. For the strength of his faith, Francis is given the marks of his master, the battle scars of love. These five wounds suffered by Christ, nails in his palms and feet, and a lance in his side, marked Francis's body for the rest of his life. The Death of St. Francis As Francis lay dying, he called his brothers, his fratelli, to gather around. As they kneel and mourn him, Francis's soul ascends to heaven, borne aloft by angels. He died thanking God and singing his Canticle of the Sun. Just as he referred to the sun as his brother and the moon as his sister, Francis called his body Brother Donkey. On his deathbed, he conceded, Maybe I was a bit tough on Brother Donkey. Ravaged by an asceticism extreme enough to earn him the stigmata and tuberculosis, Francis died in 1226. The final eight panels along the south wall deal with Francis's funeral, his canonization, and miracles associated with him after his death.
Those post-mortem miracles were important to Franciscans because they made him eligible for sainthood. For art historians, these last panels are less important because they're less likely to be done by Giotto himself. You're free to browse through them or move on. Finish your visit to the Upper Basilica near the front entrance. The Rest of the Basilica Standing near the front entrance, look up at the ceiling and the walls near the rose window. See the large tan patches? In 1997, a 5.5 magnitude earthquake hit Assisi. It shattered the upper basilica's frescoes into thousands of pieces. The many precious fragments had to be meticulously picked up and pieced back together. A short time later, an aftershock shook the ceiling frescoes down, killing two monks and two art scholars who were standing right on this spot. Thankfully, today, Assisi and this basilica have recovered from that devastating earthquake. This basilica, so richly decorated, almost seems to contradict the teachings of the poor monk it honors. But it was built as an act of religious and civic pride to remember the hometown saint. It was also designed, and still functions, as a pilgrimage center and a splendid classroom. The Franciscan order is alive and well. You'll see many monks in brown robes and hoods with rope belts and sandals. These aren't priests, but lay people who've taken the Franciscan vow of obedience, chastity, and poverty. Their garb may not give off an easy-to-approach vibe, but the Franciscans of today are still God's jugglers. Many of them speak English, and I find them a delight to talk to. Step outside on the lawn. The sculpted shrubbery spells out the Latin word for peace, pox, and it shows the Franciscan Tau Cross. Our tour is over. For a drink or snack, the Bar San Francisco facing the Upper Basilica is handy. For a little more pox, take the high lane back into town, up to the castle, or out into the countryside. It's appropriate to finish this tour in the out-of-doors. Francis loved nature and found God while surrounded by the beauty of the physical world. It's said that Francis was the first to breathe the spirit of the Renaissance into medieval Europe. His love of man and nature inspired artists like Giotto and the architects of this basilica. They went on to create works of art that celebrate real humans with real emotions, blessed to be living in a world of great beauty. We hope you enjoyed this tour of the Basilica of St. Francis. If you're up for more sightseeing, we have a companion audio tour giving a walk through the town of Assisi. Thanks to Gene Openshaw, the co-author of this tour. This tour was excerpted from the Rick Steves Italy Guidebook. For more details on eating, sleeping, and sightseeing in Italy, refer to the most recent edition of that guidebook. For more free audio tours and podcasts, and for information about our guidebooks, TV shows, bus tours, and travel gear, visit our website at ricksteves.com. This tour was produced by Cedar House Audio Productions. Grazie. Arrivederci. And ciao for now.